Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 47, Carl Ham, also known as DJ Carlito, but I think he's letting on as how he don't use that so much anymore, but maybe some of you know him by that name. I know him because many years ago, when I moved back here from New York around 1998, uh, our mutual friend Chris Flynn uh, put us together some other people and we tried to form a band but it didn't work out so good and uh yeah and i don't think i I don't think i've seen carl since then uh i've been well i've seen him on facebook i've been aware of him on facebook and see stuff he's posted and uh he actually was recommended to me independently by somebody else that uh, i didn't even know knew him to have him on the podcast my friend liz Downing. So we got him over here and he brought records and he brought a little portable record player with him. And the, my fucking cat that just moved in here likes to use her tail as a wrecking ball and just hauled the uh, something off the table that is playing this music, but it didn't interrupt it. In fact, the only interruption is me cursing the poor feline. We have a new cat. Her name is Nala. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. Prettiest cat I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I actually have, this is retarded, because, you know, my favorite podcast for a long time was WTF, and old Mark Maron was always talking about how he's got a cat ranch around his house. Well, I actually have a fucking cat ranch out here, too. Behind my house on Cedar, there are 13 feral cats living um, in the bushes back there and they come they sleep under my house and they sleep under everybody's houses around here and they hang out on the porch and different people feed them and we've got like a mail bin back there and a bunch of storage bins and they sleep in them and they get this whole community going and most of them do not like people and won't come anywhere near us until the food food time comes around but there's this one gold cat uh, little boy and they've all been fixed I met this lady out there she showed up on a Sunday in her Sunday clothes and she told me that she had one by one captured the cats and taken them over to see Nan Jack at the Churchill Veterinary Clinic and got them all spayed and neutered. So they're all just, uh, they're not producing any more feral cats, but they're kind of this, this crazy band. And they're beautiful cats. And many of them do seem like they used to be somebody's cat. And there's this one that uh, is real friendly. And I, I, I made him a little cat house out of an old... Um, nightstand out on the porch put some burlap in it and he comes up and he sleeps in it and then he comes out and we hang out on the porch i don't let him in the house because i don't know what kind of nasty parasites he might have on him but uh i call him brutus and it's funny he looks just like the uh, indoor cat we just got so we've got like the mirror image it's like tale of two cities with cats feline scent every moment at the rough and maybe they'll switch places somehow at some point, there'll be a whole kitty story going on with that. But uh, anyway, I don't know how far I'm going to go with that. Had a good time talking to Carl. We got real tantric talking about music and uh, the whole cross section for me of like you know you know discipline, formula, math aspects of music and the ecstasy. I'm just freaking out and trying to play it, which I don't do much of any, anymore, my damn self. But 
put me in mind. I've been I've been watching that Neil deGrasse Tyson Cosmos thing, and I, you know I like that shit. And that that show is still. I mean, it fucking is over my head and blows my mind a lot. And uh, it's kind of it's very cool that that there is this voice, this very wondrous, like you know. Uh, I don't know, almost sort of a prophetic voice of science in Neil deGrasse Tyson on the show. And the cosmos is kind of spiritual. Um, I, you know, I don't like that every so often they feel like they're trying to push back at organized religion. Just leave the fucking organized religion alone. You know, they they don't, you know, I mean, everybody just needs to get along. It's like, and, and this is the same, <laughs> it's fucking retarded, but it's the same kind of thing that I talk about in this podcast. I mean, Science is one form of wonder and exploration and looking for truth. And it is systematic and it is synthetic knowledge. It's knowledge. And spirituality is Gnostic. It's about feeling. It's about sensing. You can't make logical, reasonable arguments about spiritual shit. And people waste a lot of fucking time trying to do it. You know... Serious, dogmatic, religious people are have a problem with science, and seriously scientific, logical dudes have a problem with faith, and they're both wrong. I I dig both. I got a spiritual life. I'm not down with any dogma, but I enjoy working the muscles in me that um, that are gnostic and do not conform to logic, do not conform to math. They're just about feeling, sensing, um, intuition. Um, stuff that, you know what, you may or may not believe in it, but I've seen it work. And uh, that's what we and Carl are going to be talking about a lot, I think. So let's uh, r- let's roll. You have to get it's closer to the be, mic, though. This is the record that's going to come out on April 19th on uh-huh. Record Store Day. It's the Malaysian and Singaporean oh, cool. psychedelic rock from the 60s. Is this like the raw Seriothea kind of stuff? She was from Vietnamese, right? Or she was Cambodian. Cambodian. Yeah. Is um, it similar though? Is it like that kind of stuff? I guess you could say it's it's a, right in that time period. Pop, but yeah, yeah. It's um, a little bit more like surfy and Beatlesy sounding, whereas the Cambodian stuff still retains a lot of the real folky sound of the. I mean, the the thing about all of these Asian. Um, Asian invasion, Uh (laughs) you know, psychedelic garage groups that were coming out in different parts of Asia back then is the, the, the one quality that remains, um, in spite of the fact that they had all the Dick Dale guitars and, um, Beatles sounding, uh, chord progressions. The, the one thing that remains is the vocal, uh, styles are are still usually sounding a lot like like, indigenous. yeah. 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 Was that, and that's what I remember Roz uh, being like. It was like psychedelic kind of garage rock, but she's yeah. singing totally Vietnamese. Yeah, like, uh, Cam- Cambodian. Cambodian, yeah. my bad. Come What's on. the fucking difference? <laughs> <laughs> well, you ask ask a Cambodian person <laughs> yeah. that. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just I'm just playing. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Playing the um, the, uh, the American the butthead, ugly American butthead. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not very st- big stretch. For me. Yeah, me neither, actually. It's pretty easy to snap back into that. <laughs> so what do you have to do with that record there? I've just got to wait. I can't I mean, are you give putting it, it out? I can't give it to anyone yet. Um, Sublime Frequencies out of Seattle, who is uh, affiliated with the Sun City Girls. Uh-huh. Remember that? Yep, yep. Um, Alan Bishop and uh, Hisham and um, 
uh, Mark Gerges and various people uh, that I guess um, Alan was one of the original members of the Sun City Girls. Mm-hmm. They uh, had this label that they just put out weird, obscure international music that uh, other so-called world music labels wouldn't, right. wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Most but of the are they kind of like, do you remember Sunday's? That label that like put out us mutantes and yeah something like, like that. that or Luca Bop or you know any of those labels that um, is kind of digging a little deeper than like the Womad kind of stuff that's more safe for Western mm-hmm. ears. I'm gonna let you have the headphones so you can see what you sound like there. Okay, do you want me to talk louder? I want to, yeah, I just want you to stay centered on the mic. Okay, there. I'm sorry. Yeah. God damn it, Carl. <laughs> Carl. No, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. Puts his name on The Walking Dead. Carl. <laughs> Carl. Or Urkel. Do you ever watch a show? Party of the Year, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever watch Walking Dead? Um, no. No, I don't have TV hookup. Oh, is that on nice. Netflix? No, it's well it is, yeah. It is on Netflix. And it's also on AMC. And there's a whole bunch of British actors playing people from Georgia <laughs> with really bad accents. Nice. And the guy that pl- is like the lead, who's, his son's name is Carl. And he's always, he's got some fucked up southern accent. I don't know where he got it. It's like a weird <laughs> amalgamation of southern accents. But uh, he's a pretty good actor in English, you know, when he's being a British actor. Right. Like trying to play a small town Georgia sheriff. He just fucking hams <laughs> it up. Carl Ham. That's who's sitting here, by the He's way. He's hamming it up. Hamming it up. Well, I heard We're hamming it solemn, up. Solomon. Do you what? hear feedback right now, by the way? I do now. Fuck. Okay. There it is. It's, it's, yeah. It's it gone. Away? Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's back. Fucking A. It's just. Hold on. It's, it's got to do with where this thing plugs into this mic. Yeah. Oh, it's gone. It's gone? Yeah. Okay, good. So, so, so who's the guy, the backer, the, the f- federal felon, Sol- Solomonsky, Solomonsky, uh, what's it? his accent's me- all messed up because he sounds like New York, Brooklyn, Richmond, West End. Uh-huh. It's, it's weird. Yeah. He's a, a political figure. Is that um, no, he, he's 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 um, he owns a good portion of Shaco Bottom. Oh. It was um, convicted for bribing one of the city council members and sort of one of the main backers of the Shaco Bottom uh, plan to put a stadium in Shaco Bottom. But I was just commenting on the fact on that. that he doesn't sound like he's from around here. But yeah. I think he might actually be from around here because he got this sort of weird characteristic Richmond accent on top of a New York accent. And, you know, somebody was telling me a while ago, and I don't know if it was I was listening to this on NPR or something, that Southern accents are, a, are like a version of an English accent. Right. Right, but, yeah. You know, of course they would be. And, and then you know. in, in Richmond, what I heard is uh, the Richmond accent has a, this uh, French twist because yeah. the Huguenots were here. Yeah. You know, Huguenot Road. Like going down to the Rova? Yeah, Rova and go out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's strange. Tell me about, okay, the record label, what do you have to do with it? Like, what are you, why are, uh, did you just get an advance of it or something? Yeah, I got an advance copy. Um, actually, are you doing work for them? Are you re- reviewing or? I have another thing. I have another thing. You're getting far away. I have another thing mind. here. The CD came out first. So oh, I'll right read huh? that to you. That That's, uh, the cool. CD came out first and then, um, Almost a whole year passed, uh, 
and then they're putting out the vinyl now. So it's double vinyl, 26 tracks spread over two LPs. But that's the CD. So awesome. That's why that's a little bit more Psychedelic ragged. Rock from Singapore and Malaysia, 1964 to 1970. Yeah. This seems like something our mutual friend uh, Chris Flynn would be all over. I, th- I think he, he um, he's a fan of it. Yeah. I, th- I think he approves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are you... I, you know, I don't do any, like, DJ... Um, what the fuck am I trying to say? Research before I sit down and just talk. I That's find cool. Out whatever I yeah. want to find out from the conversation. Yeah, sure. Are you DJ Carlito? That's one of my that names. Um, yeah. Although uh, I guess um, I, I could I could go with Carl these days more probably. I I thought like I was like man I need a DJ name when mm-hmm. I first started this whole DJing on WIR and. Um, People used to call me Carlos or Carlito or it was like, hey, Carl, man, mm-hmm. dude. And and I was like, oh, Carlito. Yeah, that, that'd be cool. And uh, when not, did uh, so what's what shows are you doing on RIR? When are they on? If or? Music Could Talk is my show, it's on at 7 p.m. on Sundays. And uh, yeah. I've been holding that down for about um, nine years now. So um, wow. definitely have gotten over a lot of the early um, amateurism and built up a little bit more professionality with the, the, the DJing and um, hosting the show is in itself. You have to kind of keep your uh, wits about you and, and speak clearly and mm-hmm. be organized. And, and um, I'm looking also, forward to that one day, but what, what, what do you consider to be amateurish behavior on the? Well, I think <laughs> for the most part, when I was, I, I always dabbled in the idea of like interviewing famous artists and I, I managed to do it um, a lot. Mm-hmm. It, people, when they hear that you have a radio show, they're like, oh yeah, well, we'll set up an interview and um, you can talk about our band. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was awesome, but it was really hard. Like, especially the fact that I have a tendency to just geek out when I'm talking right. to famous musicians. Um, it was, I had to learn how to ask questions that would actually get them to open up and talk to me just like you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times there wasn't a lot of information out there on the web. So I just have to sort of pull it out of thin air and feel people out on, on sort of verbal cues. Cause you're most of the time I'm talking to them on the phone. It's even harder to yeah. sort of feel the conversation, but, um, yeah, you can see yeah. when somebody goes dead in their eyes when they're sitting across from you. And yeah. And they start staring at the wall <laughs> and they, they're not really interested or they're wincing or squinting because <laughs> they don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. yeah so I, I think I've gotten a little better at, at interviewing and then also, um, you know, I, go back and forth between going into the studio on a Sunday and having a plan and completely not having a plan. And both are great sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I think more than more often than not, it's better to do some preparation and have a plan. Yeah. So I'm trying to do that more, often, especially when you've got uh, like a finite sort of time slot and you have to, and the resources being expended around you doing that. And right. That all those things bring something valuable. Somebody something if you're fucking up, yeah. There. You want to bring something valuable to the table rather than just have it be your little fun hour to play whatever and right. be self-indulgent. Although that's cool too. Like I said, I mean, um, there's nothing cooler in some ways than hearing like uh, like someone play the weirdest stuff in their record collection. But, you mm-hmm. know, that, that can only go so far until you're just like basically like jamming the airwaves and confusing people. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean – I don't know. You know, I, I have a number of like 
you know, maybe contradictory philosophies about broadcasting. I never really set out to broadcast per se. I like to talk yeah. and I liked, and I really liked listening to other people talk, uh, you know, on other podcasts. So I was like, this seems like a fairly simple thing. We'll just set up microphones and talk. But I go, you know, I vacillate a whole lot between like, should it be structured? You know, should there, should I attempt to create something cohesive and, and, you know, be more of a host or should I get my ego out of the way and just see what happens and make it like a, you know, a jam session. <laughs> and the one thing I try to, I'm, I'm trying to watch now is just being talking too much. Cause some, you know, sometimes I get to like at the end of a week and somebody comes over here and sits down and I just want to blow off steam. And like, I don't <laughs> know if it's a fucking conversation at that point, they're just listening to me vent or something that happened with Bijan. Like we sat down for like two and a half hours or something. And I don't know how much people, we got out of him. I, Bijan, uh, is brilliant as a brilliant guy. And I still need to listen to that whole podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, some people get uh, microphone shy too. You know, yeah. I think, when me, I, I, I love recording. It, it's, it's always almost been a fetish for me. Like, mm-hmm. um, even when I was like writing music and I s- still write music and I want to get back to that a little more, you and I used to play music together. Mm-hmm. It's so cool that we Very had that briefly. history. Yeah. Yeah. Just briefly, but it's cool. Um, but that was part of my, even my comp com- composing, uh, method was turn on a four track and just play some chords or just you know whatever happens and then go back to it and chop it up and find the pieces that sound like something and you know yeah and i really i really believe in that model when it comes to playing in bands and and playing music a whole lot too like uh it feels like you've got to get into this space where you start flowing you know and like you got to get the the frontal lobes disengaged a little Mm -hmm. bit and you know get at that um I don't know that part, that other part of you, like that talks through music, yeah. you know, and is trying to, you know, not instead of going through that filter of language, you know, drop out of that thing and, and go through the other thing. That's you know? interesting that you say that. Cause I mean, you know, my radio show is called if music could talk. And right. I think that's kind of what the clash were getting at when they wrote that song. Um, be, because music, there, there is that place where, uh, music you're communicating with your fellow musicians um and but you're not saying hey let's do this this four times and then you come in and then you'll solo and i want it to be sad none of that is like actually written down a lot of times it just happens yeah and so recording allows you to capture that but i mean you know there are two i mean talk about getting microphone shy there are awful lot of people that don't want to play their instruments unless they know exactly what they're going to be playing mm-hmm. you know yeah. and they some of them even need to be reading it off of a sheet of music yeah and they don't want to play with people unless it's all planned out and it's all structured and they don't want to step out of that you know at all and i think i mean i've heard before that there's sort of two ways to learn music there's the math way and the language way you yeah, know, right. they, you, you learn it as formulas, you learn it as time, you learn it as measures and beats and, and pitch and, and, uh, uh tempo and mm-hmm. all of that. And, you know, you get the theory and you're getting the theory while you're learning to play. So it's very much a science and a very much a math. And math yeah. And there are people like, I guess me, I, I've always been good at mimicking other people's by, you know, hearing them talk. So I just started, with them. yeah, I started applying that to playing music. I just imitated what I heard on the guitar. And once I figured out that most of it is the same configuration of fingers, when you're playing power chords, they're just in different, like almost most of the shit I wanted to play was 
my hands held the same way at different at different spots. places <laughs> on the on the neck of the yeah. guitar or yeah bass. yeah and uh, so I I really I didn't think about like I came to knowing like names of chords and being able to talk about four four time or any of that stuff way way after Later, I was playing yeah. in a band. But you had well, the thing you had though was an ear, yeah, and that's also what people say. I think uh, they call an ear for language, yeah. And if you don't have it, you just have to memorize things and read things, yeah. But if you do have it, I think it comes more naturally from maybe like more, I don't know, I don't want to say like a more soulful place, but a more intuitive place. Yeah, I want to be careful. Obviously, I think you and I are those kinds of musicians, like ear. Bass musicians. Yeah, we're not. I mean, it's you. Not to diss any any people that are because geez, I envy people who read music, sight read music. I envy them. Yeah, I need. I I still need to learn. (laughs) But the but the total magic for me, like like for me playing music, it's all about being in a room full of people and and communicating and like jamming and coming up with a song and then us working out the song by being together and, and working out together as part of our relationship. Like I never really liked sitting at home practicing my guitar like yeah. i might hold it while i'm watching tv and noodle and yeah. screw around just to keep my calluses up or whatever but i really only i would play with the band for three or four hours yeah but i'm not playing by myself for 15 minutes you know right, right. too much but so it's i only really get into doing it that way and that's I guess you could use the masturbation analysis analogy there yes i suppose so i prefer like intercourse being with to- someone else is better than being just with yourself yeah you know, but then there's, I mean, that's obviously thrown it a lot at guys that have gained some kind of mastery over what they've been doing. Is a funny masturbation, mastery, <laughs> you know, the woodshedding and all of that, you know, sitting alone at home perfecting this thing. But, you know, it's kind of hard to to perfect something if you're, not, you're not testing it, you know. Well, like, yeah. And I guess, I mean, but, you know, sh- surely you would sit at home and play along with your favorite album right so that's kind of like jamming right yeah well like it's something like i was watching live from daryl's house the other night have you ever seen that show it's what, on what is that daryl um daryl hall oh, like cool. has people come over <laughs> to his house and it's wide range of people you know like i mean what i was watching the other night was billy gibbons over at his house and then he has like i don't know if it's his touring band or some studio musicians or whatever but they're in like a it's not that kind of a barn looking room and they just play some songs and they're live and they're just you know, ripping it out. That's cool. Yeah. And, and Billy Gibbons, you know, like he's a badass. Yeah. You, know, you kind of get to take his easy top for granted there. Oh man. Kind of, you know, but that motherfucker can play the guitar. I think he was Jimmy Hendrix. Idol. Guitar yeah, player. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I was watching oh, that wow, and then I had wow. to go get my guitar and just hold it and, you know, noodle some blues riffs and shit while I was watching that. So, yeah, man, his tone was, too. It's that kind of stuff. Like, I guess, you know, from just playing with the instrument, like not playing it, but playing with it, uh, like and experimenting with it. That's how people get those sounds like that. No one else can yeah. emulate, you know, like Billy Gibbons. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. He's got those little weird little the harmonic things. Or whatever, yeah. The chicken pick, whatever the fuck they call it. Such that. a yeah. weird hodgepodge of probably different influences you know mm-hmm. that made up his style 
plus that you know and he was saying on on that interview that like he thought you had to play the heaviest gauge strings you know and you really had they had to be able to take a beating and <laughs> you know and you really wanted to be sawing away at him and shit and bb king like took his guitar from him in a dressing room one time he's like man these strings are thick he's like, yeah. you're working too hard man lighten <laughs> it up and he's like all of those guys play super light gauge strings you know and it's just this very it's a very finesse thing even though it sounds very raw yeah it's a light touch and uh, mm-hmm. there's a uh, delicacy to it. I, I never would have thought that. I was a big string breaker, you know. And I'm trying to remember who I who else I heard this story about really thick gauge strings. I can't remember. They're good if you're going to be flailing away at the car. I mean, it's completely unnecessary to hit an electric guitar like that, but I did it because I didn't have any finesse or whatever when I was playing them. So I put really heavy gauge strings yeah. on my guitars. But, it, I mean, I had like a burr in the saddle, so I was breaking them anyway yeah but uh but that's i mean i like that process and that's like that's what playing music is to me and you could call it soul um and i would like really love to elaborate on that term because you know there is a certain thing that we mean by soul like you know if you have to ask you'll never know kind of thing it's just this kind of magic mojo thing that some people can just tap into Soul is a ham hock in your cornflakes right right. (laughs) i was just listening to that that first funkadelic album there's a song called what is soul yeah yeah is that's the Mm self-titled funkadelic yeah Yeah. on westbound 1970 that's not maggot brains one with the girl with the afro on the cover right? yeah this one has some face like repeated a million times in a circle that looks like an eyeball that shit is amazing. That's a, a really amazing album, yeah. Totally different sound. So low low tech, I guess. Not yeah. lo-fi because it sounded like they wanted it to sound. Yeah. But it's very low tech. Very stripped down. and Yeah. A lot of echo in there. A lot yeah. of space. Yeah, I love that album. Yeah. I like that shit a lot, too. Um, but what is like, soul, yeah. But, like, uh, you know, what it means to me now, and, like, the thing that I'm trying to capture by having no fucking plan when you start talking, for instance, or when you start playing or whatever, is I think that that fear thing that comes into it, um, that you don't know if you're going to pull this shit off, mm-hmm. that starts making you really, like, that really is what, what calls up the fucking magic, you know? it's For it's, some people, it, it, it would, yeah, I guess it would. And that's the thing I'm looking for, and the reason I'm looking for it is because of this James Baldwin story that I read when I was in college called Sonny's Blues. Have you ever read that? No, tell me about it. It's um I've, I think I've heard I've heard well there might be a song called Sonny's Blues. Probably is. Are, are he we might talking have named about Sonny Rollins? He or could Sonny be in the in the mo- in the book Williams he's just song? talking about his brother. So hmm. like it's two guys that have grown up in Africa, I mean Africa in Harlem in like the 60s, you know, or they're adults in the 60s, I guess. And the narrator of the story is a math teacher. And he's talking about his brother, Sonny, who's a jazz pianist who's got a heroin problem and is in jail. Mm-hmm. And he's just gotten out of jail um, when the story starts. And he's trying to be clean and he's trying to get back into the swing of things. And he's trying to, you know, start playing music again. And you know, the story is a lot about their relationship and like how they how they ended up that way. But it does. It's very subtle, you know, just kind of hints at things. But there's a part where the math teacher, and I think this is kind of perfect because we're talking about math and language. The math teacher comes to watch his brother play. And when he first starts playing, he's just real tentative. You know, he's really hanging back. And this is a bebop type improvisational kind of combo he's playing with. And the other guys in the band are talking to him and they're trying to get him 
to strike out for deep water. He says. He says he can. He says the bass player says something mean on the bass, and the sax player answers back. And they're trying to encourage Sonny to to come out in the deep water. Mm. Um, and they're trying to tell him that you know deep water isn't the same thing as drowning. You know, and then yeah. and then it happens, and something happens to Sonny up there on the stage, and it's like he finds a brand new piano under his fingers. And, <laughs> you know, there's just this whole description of that thing. I've been like, kind of after that. You know, like whatever I'm doing, whether I'm writing or, or drawing or, or anything, you know, mm. you get out of that nervousness, that Mike shyness, that like the the self editor, that thing that of that part of you that's saying you, you suck, you're no good, and you just stop or thinking regret, about it. You'll regret saying that. Yeah, <laughs> and you just start getting into that space where it starts flowing. Yeah, out of you. you yeah, know? yeah. And uh, I think that. That's the shit, and 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 I think so. For me, soul is when you're really and and like and punk has it. You know, when you're willing to get up on stage with an instrument that you haven't mastered, right? You know? <laughs> that you don't know what's going to happen sometimes when you plug it in, and you're willing to take a chance and you know sort of play the role of a human sacrifice up on stage in front of people, yeah, and then pull something out of yourself. Like that's what, like kind of what I mean by soul, and I think people who are really good learn their instrument and learn how to hang on to that at the same time you know mm-hmm. yeah i mean uh finding those deeper waters might be one of the goals of picking that instrument up yeah and 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 losing yourself into the instrument and you know i guess the audience would just you know be lucky enough to be there at that moment when that happens um and then when you mention punk artists <clears throat> i i think of it a, a little differently because um, but I think the same kind of things can happen, you know, because when Patty Smith's going off on a rant or yeah. Iggy Pop is rioting around and, and, and the band is chugging away like a war machine and, mm-hmm. and he's bleeding on stage and everyone's, it's just what is going on here. I think, um, a lot of times the punk musicians who weren't really necessarily as concerned with the technicality or the you know the the perfection that uh, maybe some other like maybe some even jazz musicians might worry about although i think there's closer relation to punk and and jazz than well, than, than maybe definitely Iggy wanted to be he wanted to be doing like sun ra yeah, you know <laughs> yeah that kind of improv mm-hmm. um there's i think there's a much closer link to uh the kind of beautiful mistakes that jazz players make and punk musicians made than maybe like the the classical repertoire player, um, you know, trying to play something perfectly and perfect it and mm-hmm. and do it technically perfect, and and you know it's no good if I screwed that one note right. up, you know. But the you know the the idea of channeling and channeling yeah. emotion or ideas and channeling a, um, an attitude or an you know just. Um, uh, becoming a thought physically, you know, in, um, uh, like, uh, uh beca- becoming an, an incarnation of an emotion on stage mm-hmm. musically, mm-hmm. um, is what I, I remember the power of a lot of punk performers. And, you know, you and I, I think uh, like we go to, when we talking about punk, we're talking about a pretty specific group of people. Like I know I am like, I really, to me, it's like the people that came out of the you know Midwest first, like you know the the Stooges and MC5, and then the people they encouraged, 
yeah. you know, and, yeah. and really in the Northeast and like New York and yeah. like that yeah. CBGBs, which was a lot of art damaged, like intellectual people, <laughs> yeah. you know, with the exception of the Ramones or the dead boys. But like those people were coming out of the beat thing. Right. And mm-hmm. the beats were trying to write, like say Charlie Parker played the saxophone or right. whatever. So Alan it's Ginsburg all linked. To, yeah. yeah. And fucking Jack Kerouac was, you know, taking a bunch of speed and trying to just write, like an Charlie entire Parker. continuous roll of paper, you know, without stopping and, and improvise and riff and and riff and, yeah. and use the words like musical notes and yeah. yeah, exactly. And I mean, they aren't. I mean, they are. They are. You know, yeah. they're a pre. That's why I, I always loved those. You know, at the same moment that you and I were really digging early hardcore and and all the other genres of music that we were really vibing on when we were in high school one of those other things that i remember doing a lot with friends was freestyling Mm -hmm. and that being kind of this weird punk musical thing that you could do i mean because patty smith she was just a white girl freestyling yeah you know um and and rapping and punk were in the beginning, I think really closely linked, mm-hmm. and I guess they always have been. Well, like you said, the Clash. I mean, the Clash were pulling that stuff off the street before it was even recorded. Yeah, yeah, know? they were they were trying to rap, uh, and and that's why they loved New York so much. Um, um, but that you know, freestyling has that same kind of thing too, where you're using words and uh, you know the sound of the words and the rhymes of the words and the the rhythm of the words. Um, as musical n- notes, you mm-hmm. know, it's, and getting into a stream of consciousness, yeah, with it, and losing your, you know, your inhibitions and and worrying about whether it's going to make sense or not. That's why a lot of people, I mean, myself included, always got hung up when I would try to freestyle, and I'm not going to do it now. But um, it, it was it always really is a time and a place kind of a thing. Well, you have to, I mean, you have to work up, warm up to it. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, jamming, you know, and the first notes that come out of the amp are not always going to sound great or right. move you in a certain way. But it's weird. The momentum builds after a while, mm-hmm. especially, you know, um, with music and yeah. improv. Improv really is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like making me think of this. There's this, uh, Nietzsche book, The Birth of Tragedy. Um, and I read that like when I was living in New York and he is talking about there's sort of two two poles of artistic expression. There's mm-hmm. the Apollonian, which is all about perfection, like edifices yeah. of idealized beauty, like you know, real mastery, like getting this thing down, making a Donatello David, you know, <laughs> like, you know, just this thing that Preserved can't be fucked eternity. with. And exactly. It ensconces this thing, you know, and then there's the Dionysian, which is all about ecstasy. You yeah. Know, you're just letting and it for the moment. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's there's no like trace mystical... of it left behind except maybe blood, you know, or cum or whatever. <laughs> some broken shards of glass. That's right. And you know, when the Dionysius and, and, and or the main ads and, and Bacchus came through, Dionysus and Bacchus are the same guy, I guess, I guess right? so, yeah, depending on whether you They fucked people up when they came through. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, it wasn't just like a good like, time. Oh, shit. People Here died. he comes. <laughs> you know? And, and I got this idea that, like, you know, the reason we have this myth about the crossroads about Robert Johnson and mm-hmm. lots of other people is that, you know, one road is that. Is yeah. The, is the uh, Apollonian thing of the craft, you know, perfection, skill. And the other road is the uh dionysian that's just you've got you're drawing on that 
Yeah. But it's you're, a beautiful oblivion. You're drawing that shit from the formless place before you were taught words and before you were taught how to be a mem- you know, member of your family and a member of society and all that stuff. You're trying to pull out that chaotic, like, you know, um, primal thing. And, and the perfect shit is right there at the crossroads. You know, in the at the middle spot. Yeah, I you know. I, I might you agree gotta, with that. Right? Yeah, I see what you're saying. And and like the devil, right? You gotta make a deal with the devil to get there. <laughs> well, what is the devil? The devil's pan, right? And the pan is half man, half animal. You know, from the waist down, he's just all, you know, rutting sex kind of shit. And, yeah. And from the waist up, he's a dude. You know, he's yeah. He has a mind. He can think. You know, and he's this sort of integrated uh, model hmm. of that shit of like kind of having a little bit of best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. You know. But you know, I, like this is like major. Like yeah, I would yeah. get off on this riff here. This is a riff that I used to do on drugs all the time. And I was like, <laughs> and, and then it's also the X and Y axis, right? Like you know, and, um, with the the male and the female, and yeah, the the, the, the fire and water and mm-hmm. combining that stuff. And so in 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 the middle of that is a zero, and the zero is kind of like the Buddhist thing of uh, bounded infiniteness you know shunyata the space under the tree whatever like you know that place where you're not you know you're not struggling you're not striving you're just flowing you know you're just like you're not you're neither here nor there you're just you know in the in the yeah and i mean they all you know buddhists also they warn of um the the trapping of duality or, or, you know, of, of either or, right. And it's, you know, it's neither. Right. Or, 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 you know, that middle path is right. I guess, where you're trying to, trying to be, but, and then also avoiding judgment of avoiding assumptions right. or, um, or expectations. Mm-hmm. And, and with music and art, um, it's, it's interesting. Like, when I discovered um, or someone played for me, like stuff like you know, once again it was it was probably one of one of our friends, mm-hmm. um, Kiji Hino or John Zorn or yeah. one of those people that was like, God, that's awful when right. I first heard it. But then I started hearing, I guess because my my own mind wanted to find order in that chaos. Right. I would find these beautiful th- moments that. I don't know if I could even hear them twice listening to the mm-hmm. same recording, but um, I think no matter what you're doing, it's going to come off differently to another person. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's really important. And you've got such beautiful art in your house. It's, I, I, I recognize some of it from, from Julian um, and various other people, I'm sure, have filled your home with art here. Yeah, these are uh, interesting. These, uh, this is this guy, Dave Aaron, that I lived with in New York. And I used to think these paintings were bullshit when he was doing them. But really? they're, they're, <laughs> I love them now. It's, I mean, it's weird painting something I've never really done much. But um, I had parents, both were artists. And my dad used to teach painting at VCU before he passed away. Um thing with like a painting and just talking about judging your own art or judging someone else's art it's so hard to know when to stop painting you yeah. know like when it's done or or if it's good enough to yeah. leave alone you know or if you've gotten that thought out onto the the paper absolutely like with a musician maybe i guess it's different like you just kind of run out of steam you know or, or it's a, it's or a real it's deliberate thing you know like i mean people like I mean, that's why I do this this way. Because if I start editing it, I won't know where to stop. Right. Yeah, you know, I might whittle it down to a total fucking nub. There'll be nothing left, and yeah. I like to leave the whole thing. If somebody might hear 
Keji Haino, you know, and a mess, you know, initially when they're listening to this. And somebody else might find something that triggers something that they, they really, oh, shit, I needed, I needed that. Yeah, like you know? that Funkadelic album that we were talking about. Yeah. Or like we were talking about Soul and I was like immediately Soul. What do you think of? James Brown. You know, mm-hmm. James Brown was one of the most militaristic band leaders out there you know mm-hmm. i mean you totally. had to have your shoes you shined out of line like there was no like i'm gonna play around with this you had to be on the beat mm-hmm. when he said hit me you better hit him mm-hmm. or else you're out of the band i've heard you know? that he conducted the drummer with his ass in his neck <laughs> you know <laughs> and he would be like he would be like kicking his butt out and kicking his head back and shit and like if you missed it he'd be like i gotcha that's what that is i gotcha i, I caught you snoozing you know <laughs> Man, I mean, but you know, there's so much soul there, and I just, I, I guess, I need to read more autobiographies of musicians. Like, I need, I still need to read Miles Davis's, mm-hmm. and I'm sure um, somebody's working on a great, you know, I, I, there's that uh, DJ Perry was working on a documentary about James Brown. I guess he hung out with them a little bit, um, but uh, I don't think you know, I've ever read a documentary. I mean, seen a documentary really or read a complete thing about any of those people, but I have all of this shit in my file effects or in my files that they've said, you know, that resonated with me, like Miles Davis talking about getting round midnight, right. And Thelonious Monk, you know, you know, kept saying he kept playing it for him and and Thelonious would just be like, "Mm, not yet, (laughs) not yet, you know? And, and I think that's where you came out of the, like, you got to know when not to play, you know, you got to like lay back, you know, stop trying so hard to make this perfect, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, but then, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the practice, you know, and I mean, practice as a, you know, spiritual practice, like meditation, all that shit. I mean, it's really good as long as you're not hung up on the perfection, you're not attached to whatever that assumption is or that judgment that you're leveling at yourself about what the fuck perfection is, you know, that you really give yourself a break to engage in the process, you know, to, to work it out and like see, you know what what messy shit happens and then um what beautiful things happen because the messy stuff really gives contrast to the beautiful yeah. stuff and then that it, they both convey that each other's value it's also yeah. strange too with the you know your own person they say we're our own worst critic and it's really true at least from personal experience i can't i can't listen to most of the music that i've recorded especially if i'm I'm singing. I, mm-hmm. I actually attempted singing songs, uh, which you will never hear. But uh, <laughs> you may, maybe someday I'll be okay with it. But it's like you can't appreciate the beauty of your own work. Usually, I mean, the ego gets in the way. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough. It's it can it can always be better. Right. And you never want to admit to other people that you're really you think that y- your work sucks. But I just think that artists and musicians are just naturally they have to be critical of themselves they are always trying to push themselves further but um it's interesting when you like you know do a painting or make a recording of some music or uh, write a poem and just put it away and forget about it and then you realize um and i guess this we're getting into cliche territory because it's like almost like dream analysis you know but like you can learn something about yourself years later um, that you didn't realize at the time that you were doing. I don't a, think a these things of, are cliched you know. at all. You know, and I don't want to interrupt what you're saying, but no, I, I, want I just to take I, the time to I, say. I, that. I feel like people have probably said what I'm trying to say 
a million times before. Yeah. And it, it's always just sort of, it just, it fascinates me that, that we can be so hung up and so consumed in, in, in the process of making something beautiful or inspiring or trying to get that feeling out that we were talking about that the punk musicians doing on stage. Mm-hmm. But if we were like stopping and looking at it and analyzing and editing it during that right. process, we'll never accept it. We right. have to step away from it. And to some degree, you have to recognize when you're exerting far too much control over this thing that is being called down, you know, and brought forth from wherever through <laughs> you, you know, that the whole, at some point, yeah, like you're not going to know when to stop editing. You need to stop controlling it. Like, let it be. That's you why know? I think a lot of artists um, found refuge in, in drugs. Right. Because they could forget themselves and, and kind of step out of their body and their you know limiting conscience you mm-hmm. know and that's the quick route that is to it it's, unfortunately it doesn't always work that's the other deal <laughs> with the devil aspect of it because it, it exacts the toll is yeah. it removes the sensitivity that gave you the ability to feel that shit in the first place it starts you know shaving off the uh the edges it starts you know cutting down the antenna it starts yeah. removing the the uh feelers well one of the antenna i think is is our memories mm -hmm. you know and our connection with our experiences so like yeah when you start erasing those then yeah you don't get to selectively numb you know right when you numb you numb and you get to a point where you know some people early on that's a quick way to balance out the extremes of their uh passions or you know fears or whatever and, and allow them to put it into music and you know there are a lot of really awesome examples of that really obvious examples of that but like i'm really interested now in like taking that shit head on and like feeling the fear mm-hmm. and like just being a friend with it and not being afraid of fucking up and not being afraid of putting that thing out there and just that alone like take being willing to like take that chance i think is it is like is the inspiration i mean is it gives the value that art gives you know that hey if that guy can do that and and is willing to fuck up and is willing to like you know sacrifice his dignity or his sense of self or his ego or whatever to possibly get at something yeah then then me too why not why why not me you know there's nothing happening to him he's not dying you know right right fear is uh is out of place here you know, it really doesn't belong. What we're afraid of is the death of the sense of self and the ego. So that's a good thing. Yeah, you yeah. Know, take a chance when, with that whenever, whenever possible. Yeah. You know? But um, yeah. Yeah, and still <laughs> the shyness sets in. It's funny, you know. Even like dancing, you uh, you get to the party, you you know, and it's like uh, <clears throat> it just takes it takes a little while to get yeah to get, get warmed up, get moving, yeah. To kind of look around funny at people for a while, but then that song hits you and presses mm-hmm. the right button. It's like on yeah. like popcorn. Yeah, and and white people in general have a hard time with that, and I don't I don't think that's genetic. I think it's cultural. Yeah, you know, it's like you're be, you've been taught since you're a little kid to mind your manners and to sit up straight and not to put your elbows. Yeah, don't on the act table. like an animal. Right, behave yourself. You know, tighten up. Don't embarrass me. Yeah, you know, get off the floor. Mm-hmm. You're not and, supposed to be crawling around on the floor, right? Get that out of your mouth. Stop. Get your fingers out of your nose, like <laughs> you know. And you get really obsessed with that 
image that your parents are projecting onto you, you know, through that. At least I know I did. My mom's yeah. telling me like what you do reflects on me, so don't do that. And I'm like, yeah. I'm just, you know, experimenting out here. Yeah. But that gets to be that becomes that voice, that critic's voice that says, Don't do that. You're gonna embarrass someone. You're gonna embarrass yourself. You know. Yeah. Just like stand back, you know, keep your mouth shut, don't dance, you know. Don't fool around. Don't draw attention to yourself. Yeah. It's it's also um we have these new stages. Um like the idea of a stage, you know, where you go to perform. Mm-hmm and let it all out um we have the internet now right it's a funny stage because you can kind of hide while you're performing mm-hmm. and be, you know you hide behind a a url or a, mm-hmm. a, a blog banner and it's who is that mm-hmm. who is that you know um but uh but then you know there's youtube it's, right. it's still it's still a safe zone though because it's re, it's pre-recorded um I guess you could do like sort of a weird live chat room where people perform. I'm sure that happens. Yeah. On the internet. It's, you mean like jam, like like play music like that? Yeah, like it's just the the internet club and mm-hmm. you go to that URL and who knows who's going to be performing right now, but uh but someone's always getting on stage and saying something or doing something interesting. Yeah. And you can choose. You can choose to go there. And there's, I mean, I really, I, I really like that. There's this combination of, there. Well, there's, you know, you can do things from the safety of wherever you feel safe. You can start off expressing yourself. You don't have to get out of your house, go somewhere. You know, travel through a bunch of different obstacles in order to get to the point where you're going to communicate with somebody or put something out there. Yeah, you can be where you want, where you're most comfortable when you take that leap. Yeah, you know. And, and there is a lot of opportunity for people to misrepresent themselves or to be fake. But I think there's also a really, you know, a constant uncovering of what is fake and what is bullshit and yeah. what are lies out there. That you too. Know? It's yeah. almost like we can read each other's minds on a certain level. Like they're like you, you can't actually. Right. But the connection of information is somebody's going to expose that thing that you're trying to yeah, hide. Right. You know, there's that many opinions underneath that one little post that you made this morning on Facebook or whatever. <laughs> and no, I'm not saying that particular no, one, good, you know, but that one, for example, you hate April Fool's Day and or you you hate it this year. And, and, and there's 20 other opinions below that that say, well, come on, Kurt. Right. We know you actually love April Fool's Day. I just and, got got before I got somebody else. And so now <laughs> I'm going to like, <laughs> I'm going to get grumpy about it. But it's interesting. Yeah. That collective fact checking that that's available out there on the Internet. And I guess, you know, we're getting into uh, Internet philosophy, but but. You know, when you and I met, we had rotary phones in our houses. Still, yeah. no, I didn't have. I didn't, a, have, a I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't even then. have an email address. I didn't have an email address when I met you. Yeah, um, and even before our time, when <laughs> when when in my sister's generation, she's six years older than me. She was in the punk scene back in the mid early to mid eighties here in Richmond. What is your sister's name? Shenny X E N I. Yeah, Shenny Jardin. That's, um, I guess, uh, you know, another story. Do you have more so, than one sister? No, no, okay. yeah, but uh, but so back back then, uh, I think people referred to her as Jennifer. So, um, uh, so that's why I'm confused. Yeah, 
That's okay. okay. You can you can look her up on the web. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but I heard a lot of people last week actually um get nostalgic about that era. Mm-hmm. Um because of Dave. Yeah, mm-hmm. and about how the Richmond punk community was really tight and well, you know, they didn't all get along, but they all met each other at shows. I think yeah. was the point I was trying to get at. And if you wanted to meet people um or maybe it was John Stewart that was yeah. That's what it was. John Stewart and um Gibby Haynes. Yeah, we're talking about how if you wanted to meet like-minded, cool, interesting people, you had to go to the club. You had right. to go to that that weird hardcore club mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you wouldn't meet those people if you didn't get up and get out of your house and right. do that i thought that was really um very interesting but then you know i think uh they also went off on the same tangent of of yeah but now there's you know it's not all bad what happens now either because um, now you can you can meet people in japan that are into exactly and like you don't have to go to new york city no, you, you know, don't. In and, order, or, or DC, or wherever the hell is the hallowed ground to meet the people. Right, you, you could can be bring it to you wherever you Oklahoma are. Oklahoma, or yeah, I don't know. I can't think of anyone of any place obscure in America anymore. And I don't know. I mean, I talk. I, I, I tend to get I, I advocate for like casting your bucket down where you stand. You know, which I think is the Benjamin Banneker said that or something like that. But like, you know, I am at that point now because I did. You, know, you went to New York. Yeah. <laughs> How long were you in New York? Four years. Yeah, I was too. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. From ninety nine to two thousand three. So you went right after I came back. Like I came back yeah. in ninety eight. I met you. Like we were trying to play music together, and then I went up you there. Went up there. Yeah. And you, you probably like could have told me, "Don't do it." <laughs> I probably would have then, but it was yeah. sour grapes. I know. You know. And the only reason I, I and I shouldn't have even had sour grapes because I had a fucking ton of yeah, awesome amazing, opportunities. Yeah. I was just a fuck up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I should have said, Don't be me up there. Yeah. You know, don't do what I did. But <clears throat> I, go, you know. I missed a lot of uh great opportunities up there too, but I um I made the most of it and uh I'd probably go back if I could. Um, who knows, maybe I will. Do you think it's still got that certain je ne sais quoi that- I don't know. That's kind of why i left i felt like it didn't anymore but every time i go up i'm like yeah it does yeah it still does it's got something well it just has that saturation of talented people mm-hmm. and and then also this layers upon layers of history mm-hmm. of of talented people and brilliant people and struggling people um i mean richmond's got that too but it, it's it's just more spread out and you know um, yeah yeah exactly i mean i think that it's like you got to turn the volume up a little bit here yeah, yeah to hear it but like there it's like that resonance that thing is happening all the time it's like throbbing you know that energy and it i don't think it's anything flaky to say if you get that many fucking pl- people in one place who have that kind of energy in the first place and that's why they came that's there, why they're there yeah then you know you definitely get a field going that is different than here yeah and I mean, I, at first, I mean, and you could be just as, I was just as lazy in New York as I've ever been here. I mean, I went through periods of just being a couch potato up there, you yeah, know, me too. burn out on fucking making the scene and having FOMO all the time. You know what that is? No. Fear of missing out. Yeah. I, I just, I got to go to the th- Tuesday night thing. If I don't go, I, it's my, this might be the thing where I meet the guy or the girl and it all happens. Yeah. You know? I, 
I was chasing my tail like that a lot, and and I also didn't have enough money to do that. Yeah, and I didn't. Um, crazy enough, I didn't even have a computer while I was up there, and I should have. You know, if I just if you had put me back in the same situation with a computer and an internet connection, I probably would have saved a whole lot of spinning around. You know. You know, man, I, I, I like there's this. This idea, and I forget where I got it now. It kind of reminds me there was this mutant in the New Mutants. You remember that that superhero group? And like her power was to scare the shit out of you with ever, whatever <laughs> it was that you were the most afraid of. Oh, and yeah. it was different for each person. Yeah. But like if you know she came at you then – I think she was an Indian or something like that. You saw the thing you were the most afraid of. Wow, yeah. And, and I feel like whatever it is that you need to learn is what you learn in New yeah. York. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go yeah. there. And some people – you know, a lot of people just, that's not why they went there. They went there for a job and they went there to make money and they went there to like, you know, be specifically in something. But like the kind of guy I am, I went there cause I was called. Yeah. You know, me like, too. You know, I, I think we, we probably had in some ways a similar experience because, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was just talking about having a computer to be like a better phone book in New York. Um, yeah. because I, I, I don't think I wasted any time, but I did spend a lot of time spinning around, walking through streets, getting lost. And man, I learned so much doing that. Yeah. But I wasn't necessarily as productive as I could if I went back now because I think that would be my next, my second goal, my revised goal. Where'd go there with a goal? (laughs) Yeah. The first time around it was, I'm going to find my deepest fear and conquer it. I'm going to come out of my shell and become a, a more interesting person. And I did both of those things, you know, and, um, I even found some new fears and, mm. and, and surprised myself about, uh, cool things that I only learned when I moved away from New York. Yeah. So, so there was all kinds of weird little things that happened, but, um, it was a great experience. That's certainly the way I look at it. I mean, and I don't, uh, I, I'm not to like, you know, unnecessarily like confuse what you were saying because I totally got what you were saying. But like the way that I look at, I, I came back from New York feeling like I fucked it up and I fucked up while I was there and I could have done this and I could have done that. I mean, yeah. I had a job at an indie label that went places and all the guys I was working with that were there had careers and that shit. I had an internship at Spin that could have been something. I had this, I had that. I, I mean, I constantly had that stuff, but like that isn't. I wasn't ready for any of that shit. You weren't you ready. And, and there's a reason why that didn't it, happen. Yeah and, yeah, and and it ain't just, you know, got nothing to do with God or any of that kind of shit. It's like I had to have that experience in order to ever be ready any other point in time in my life. Yeah. You know, I had to just – I had to be seasoned and conditioned that way. And and I like I, – I now look at that entire experience as being exactly what I set out to have there because, you know, I was following a romantic dream of other errant, you know – um, intrepid bohemian types, you know, yeah. from Henry Miller up, you know, the people that just kind of like seemed to be fuck ups and then suddenly boom, they blossomed and they did something, yeah. you know? Um, but I thought when I was there, no, I'm just fucking packing boxes. I'm just working at this grocery store. I'm yeah. Just, yeah. You know, I going. did a lot of that kind of stuff, but now I look back on it and I'm like, I had all of that same shit happen. Like yeah. my story now, when I tell, if I were to tell it now, it'd sound just like, that shit that I used to romanticize, you know? Yeah. I was a young man in New York and 
Yeah, I was, I was reminiscing about this fight I got in with, with a roommate up there in Bed-Stuy and how f- fucking awful it was and shameful it was that we were, like, fighting in our own kitchen. <clears throat> but thinking, as I was getting on an interstate exit last night, actually thinking about that experience and how much it sucked and how much I regretted it. and But then also, like, how great a story it is um, and how someone else would perceive it if I told it to them. Yeah. It would sound like, oh, you just – you had a, a rough time in New York and that's what people do in New York. They have a rough time and they fight with people and they find themselves. And, mm-hmm. and other people and other experiences that are tough bring your true self out right. of you. And, and uh, that all of that stuff had to happen, the good, the bad, the ugly. It mm-hmm. all had to happen. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, what are you, I, are you, I mean, what are you really without that shit? I mean, of course, part of it is you thinking that you're such a cool, suave, street smart, talented, <laughs> you knowing what's up, ass motherfucker. And you don't ever make you mistakes. Go there, you're just gonna, yeah. ha- it's just gonna be on, you know. <laughs> and you, first, you need that that taken out of you. As, as anybody needs yeah, that, yeah. like, needs some humility. You yeah, know? right. And humility is not humiliation. It's like it's part of that balance, you know. Is that a good strong ego is great. Confidence is a good thing, but when it clouds your judgment and you you're not like you're no longer being like productive, and I don't mean just like doing a job, but like the thing that you're trying to produce is totally fucked up by your arrogance and your <laughs> conceit and your ego, yeah, yeah. then it needs to be brought back into balance with that shit by some humbling experiences that mm that show you your place and like more and more like I see the beauty in being an agent of something that something's just passing through me. Like you said, you know, channeling something, yeah. you know, there's some wisdom. Yes. It's been said before, but as like a lot of my favorite, like Josh Homme, one of my favorites, you know, he got totally to the point where he was like, Iggy's already done it. What's the point? You know? And he had kind of, he just kind of dropped out of music for a while and then he sort of had this flash that I've had independently, and I think a lot of people do. It hasn't been done by me, right? You know, and there's something, there's something I'm going to bring to it. There's some little piece of the puzzle, and I'm just responsible for trying to bring that piece. I don't have to improve upon this thing. I don't have to be the best, and that's actually a real badass space to be in. You know, it's kind of like the samurai who goes into battle assuming he's going to die. You know, it's like, just enter into it going, it's not about me. It's like, I'm going to reveal some piece of this. Yeah. You know, because the battle needs to be fought, fought either way. Right. It's also kind of, that reminds me of the the idea of like avatars or, or like reincarnation of like having of different, um, spirits having incarnations in this world at different times Mm -hmm. and, and how, you know, you know, William Shakespeare could be 10 different people. Um, or, you know, Iggy pop could come back again in 50 years mm-hmm. in, in 2025 mm-hmm. or, tw- or 2075. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Iggy pop needs to exist at every moment in time throughout history, yeah. you know, some version of Iggy pop, some version of the enfant terrible mm-hmm. needs to be there to, to shake up society and to, yeah. to provide that energy, that, that fire. You know, it's that radical element. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, there always needs to be a samurai to fight the battle, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it might be you that, that needs to be the healer or uh, or the, the diplomat or or the 
translator or the um, instigator, you know, and uh, it has been done before and it'll be done again and it needs to be done. Why is that? I mean, we got so hung up in our capitalist society in our Western culture on novelty on being the first. Yeah. And, and, and doing something. People fight about it. Yeah. I was the first white guy to have a blues band. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? (laughs) Not, you know, and that's a really dubious distinction or whatever like it's that's really about fashion and and you and we obviously we hit i think we hit a wall with innovation of of a certain kind sort of around fashion um, and and music like you know popular music you know and then we started recycling and i thought that, that i actually think that was a really good thing because we were rocketing past all of these things going for the next thing and then we sort of, I think we kind of hit a wall with where hip hop went in the early nineties, even though there was cool shit that came out after that, like, you know, Roni size yeah, and yeah. people doing that kind of stuff. But, um, it's not like innovation stopped, but that very muscular sense that everybody was getting on this new thing yeah, yeah. for a while, you know, that really galvanizing shit. No, no, a whole bunch of people started going back, you know? Like I, I went back and re-listened to Band of Gypsies, you know, mm-hmm. and I went back and re-listened to the Rolling Stones, like from '67 to '72, yeah. stuff that I thought I already knew, you know. Right. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got that. That's XL102. Fuck that shit. Yeah, you know. And then I go back and and realize, you know, there's something else here. I'm different, you know. I've, yeah. And and we so we developed. I think we're de- we've developed this more um, this interest in what what is you know, what is being revealed over and over again in these different times and like, you know, cluing into that, you know, it's not like when we're stuck in that linear thing, especially in the hip hop community, they're like, that's the old style, man. That shit's (laughs) played, you know, we're done with that. We're done with the eight ball jackets or the whatever. And like, everybody's running, running, running for the next thing, you know, and can't look back from Kangos to Lil Wayne. And I played. I was playing a brand Nubian in my car the other day, uh, all for one. And my yeah. girlfriend's uh, twenty nine, and uh, so when that so record came out in ninety one, like never, yeah. no. And and I was like, well, does this sound really dated to you? And she goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Fresh Prince or something. I would never say that about you know Derek X and Grand Poobah. And, yeah, right. And and Jamal, but. It is that same cadence, <laughs> that same, the same like, era. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they and, and the, the same probably maybe the same drum machines. Yeah, when they were doing using still I mean, able to use some and, samples yeah. at that point, and but like that idea that like you can't even listen to that now. Like the styles changed so much that like it's it's silly sounding or the way the Red Hot Chili Peppers sound or whatever. But there's you know you can go, but there are these these pools of stuff that was once fashionable. Yeah. That, and like these records, like what you've brought over here, this Malaysian, you know, there've been many of these things where somebody finds a vault full of garage bands, like those crypt records back from the grave. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bloodstains, all that stuff of like, nobody cared. Those guys just seem to be wannabes just getting on. And it turns out they've got some piece of, well, you know. I'm, uh, I'm kind of an obsessive archivist, slash hoarder maybe i mm-hmm. i have a lot of books and records part of it inherited uh from my my collecting art art uh professor dad who also collected books and music but um so but i think part of that is because i like exploring 
the world in a nonlinear way mm-hmm. and, and, you know, exploring culture without any regard for time. So right. I'll listen to, you know, um, Robert Johnson and then I'll throw on some, uh, some death metal from the eighties mm-hmm. and then I'll listen to some futuristic dubstep stuff or whatever and then go back to the Puccini mm-hmm. LP mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's just so many things that have gotten overlooked, especially in the past. It's probably right. being overlooked now, what's happening. Or you just weren't fucking born yet. I wasn't you know? born yet, and, and it never got it got marketed, mm-hmm. or maybe it never got marketed over here. Because the thing with that pop, yeah, yeah, that Malaysian stuff is the a lot of the people um, over there probably got sick of it, well, but we never right. heard of it. And know, they were we doing never, it. I mean, I, I seem to remember like with the that – the Cambodian stuff that they they were playing it for servicemen that were over there. Right. Well, it, yeah, it came out of that tradition of just, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, we'll play for the GIs and make some right. money and, and maybe, uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, you know, with, with, uh, always the, yeah, I guess we, we assume that the young generation, all they care about is the new, new, new stuff. Mm-hmm. The, the cutting edge. Um, I always think it's cool when there's young kids who are just vibing on the old school stuff just as much as they're vibing on the new stuff. Yeah. And I think I was doing that yeah, when I was too. young. Mm-hmm. I was looking I was digging through my friend's parents' record collection at the same and it at the same time listening to whatever was just coming out. Yeah. Um and I think both are valuable. I don't know. Maybe I'm sounding like a music nerd now, but um No, I don't please do not worry about that yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah i mean who, who people get what what they get out of this there place. really isn't any, i mean fuck disclaimers you know when it comes to this shit like i feel like i have to excuse like the moment where i was in a house in maine and i found some moldy records under uh on a sideboard and i put on underground and i got it yeah you know and i had liked jazz as atmospheric shit to feel semi-sophisticated to when I was being a little pretentious at some point when I was like 18 or 19. And then I'm sitting there and I put this record on and it hits me a certain way. And I never, I wasn't seeking that. I wasn't trying, there wasn't anybody around to impress. I wasn't trying to be cool. I wasn't trying to jump on some fashionable thing about bebop and old, you know, old jazz shit like whatever it just happened to me and yeah. that was an authentic experience you know yeah, it's, and- it's amazing what you can access and if you're really seeking those emotions and those ideas through the music and the art like you can really tap into you know whatever they were doing throughout the ages you know it's all there and all you have to do is dig that's mm-hmm. i love that verb digging yeah like you know, it's it's like mm-hmm. archaeology. Yeah, yeah. Archaeology and, and um you know, the the joy of like discovering this this secret code something. like this tablet that's got these weird markings mm-hmm. and you f- you figure out what it is mm-hmm. or this this record that no one has that mm-hmm. you find in a thrift store. It's it's Armenian folk music mm-hmm. and wow, it's amazing and I have no what no idea what they're saying but I'm feeling this music. It's just so, and, Mm -hmm. and who, you know, why did it show up at that thrift store? Like, why do you have it? Why, why are you listening to it right now? Yeah. And, but you can access these different moments in history and these different places in the world through these, uh, 
recorded pieces of history mm-hmm. through music and and through art and and uh, yeah, and as you're saying, also is to not regard it as a different thing, but to uh, to imagine that you know Thelonious Monk or whoever is. Uh, I was just thinking of Hamza al Dean when you were <laughs> saying that. I heard that Loved song, him, man. you know, in in, uh, in some movie, and it just blew my fucking mind and i had to go out and find that record oh wow eclipse oh know, yeah yeah hello lisa hello lisa yeah, yeah. <laughs> i knew that's the one you were talking about that's the first hamza din song i ever heard man that that cassette uh on uh Ryko. yeah yeah i heard it in the fucking movie uh passion in the desert which is about oh, a french wow. uh, napoleon and a soldier who gets lost. Uh, Man, from that's that. such a beautiful it is, song. It is, and he's like playing the oud, and and this song is actually a work song that a guy who's drawing water out of the Nile would be singing to the rhythm of the buckets that pull the water out of the Nile. He's irrigating Man. the fields, and he's telling a pelican to go tell his girlfriend how much he loves her <laughs> while he's stuck there <laughs> doing that. Oulis. Yeah. <laughs> love the no the idea what he's man. saying like yeah. what if it's the nubian love song i think but, yeah it's amazing i've put it on so many mixtapes you know for the yeah for that that one you know yeah. i think my sister gave me that tape and i think it was on the flip side of a fela tape that she dubbed for me so i always have this association with this fela live tape and hamza Eldin sort of that's the other thing i think those kids are missing out on is is the beauty of of old recorded cassette tapes and how they just by the fact that they're sealed recordings mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. like shuffle your ipod right you have right. to listen to it in a certain sequence right. it's right. funny how like those tapes had these weird associations with time and, and yeah I, I had that same like with a lot of records i would record them onto a 90 minute maxell tape and you know, I just had to listen to the whole record, and I didn't have, and, and most of the time I had gotten it from somebody, so I didn't have the track listings yeah. or anything. So I was just able to, like, without the album art, without yeah. liner notes, with nothing, I'm just like letting it come out. And that's how I, I there was a Fela record that, that uh, Pat uh, Best gave me that, that I think he got from like Jim Thompson or somebody like that that had like Zombie and, and, um, and Odo or something like that on the, oh, man. on the other side. And it was actually missing a big chunk of it because I ended up getting zombie later and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. But, you know, having to, being able to just have that dark, like that, I always think of it as like this, this box of music that I would put in my tape deck and yeah. shit would just come out of it. And I wouldn't fast forward or whatever. I'd just like go deep and, you know, let it happen. But I think those, man, they're kids... Like I don't want to be, you know. I mean, the kid, they're kids like us, still doing what we did. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Even they, they seek the archaic means, you know. They do. Be, they you know, do. and, and they want just that as shit. Soulful you know? as we think we were. And, right. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. And I mean, and there's still somebody appearing in their life that says, you know, take try this yeah, or you know right. taste that or you know put think, that look put at that it in your yeah. yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing I think that. That these, you know, I mean, I, I like to say this all the time is that like, you know, you've got you've got to have people holding down the fort, you know, and keeping this infrastructure going and keeping the the basics going. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, you've also got to have people to come along and and tear it dis- down. Yes. You know, and there's con- there's lots of mythology around that. You know, there's there's big grandiose ideas that like when the world of illusion gets to 
you know, um, fixed, then Shiva's got to come along and, and, and destroy it. So it can be, we can all be liberated again. You know, it's like Vishnu can be liberated from it, whatever. We don't get stuck in that. But on a practical level, it's like you get, you get objectively or subjectively stuck in one way of looking at things. And there's no way to get yourself out of that. It takes somebody else to hit you with something, to smack you upside the head, to like, tell you you're an asshole or to tell you you're beautiful or say, have you ever looked at it like that? I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, it's that interaction, you know, the intercourse, you know, the like, let me put this out here and you give it back to me and whatever the, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. And, and some people really put themselves, you know, really show like, you know, Iggy was, I think really making a human sacrifice. I mean, I don't know what if, he was willing to hurt himself. He was willing to bleed. I mean, yes, he was on a lot of drugs, but he was definitely uh, seeking to be unfettered from whatever it was that conditioned his, you know, his mind. And the thing, the thing that always strikes me about Iggy was he was he was always so very willing to tell you who inspired him when he was growing up. Because I always hear these stories about Jim Morrison, right? And um, who else was it? Um, I guess. He had a lot of bands that he liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he liked he liked some disco, some Queen or something like. No, yeah. Queen, was Queen I, more contemporary? Um, definitely, but, Jim Jim Morrison was a big yeah thing for him. But you know? but then yeah, I don't want to go off on who <laughs> Iggy Pop's influences were, but it was it, it just his um he's his humility and when I. Listening to interviews with Iggy Pop is something that is always interesting to me mm-hmm. because he always had this way of sort of, um, I don't know, turning questions inside out and sort of being very self-deprecating uh, yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And But having this really awesome sense of humor about it too. Um, but I remember hearing him say like, oh, I just, I just want to be – a better performer, a better artist. I, I don't think what I do is actually very good. So I, I just want to get better at what I'm mm-hmm. doing. And he was always just trying to, trying to get better at what yeah. he's doing, you know? Yeah. I, I've heard him talk about it, uh, that sort of thing a lot. And I really, I, I mean, I really relate to this the thing he was saying about, he, he wanted to break the proscenium, you know, of the stage and like dive into the audience and say like, what's this artificial barrier yeah. that you are all respecting, <laughs> you know? And I mean, that is, I think that's such an important thing is it so that we don't take for granted the order that we have, you know, to realize that this shit could go, everybody could decide to start acting like Iggy pop, you know, everybody. Yeah. And then we have nothing, you know, <laughs> right. He sure, he definitely wouldn't be a special, like, you know, well, yeah. I mean, it's all contrast. Like, I mean, we we have to have a yeah. level of order, and we have to also have the id functioning. We have to have the radical thing. It's like, I mean, the way that evolution works physically is that all the cells are going along. DNA is replicating exactly the way it's supposed to, and then one piece of it like fucks up, yeah, and mutates, and that makes something else that then right. turns out to be uh, an advantage in survival, yeah, and. Then suddenly, you know, and one and, in a million, but suddenly you, you can withstand more cold temperatures right. or, or a brown bear is now white and can hide in the snow. That was a good yeah, example. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and that was an accident sort of, but that's the, that's a thing that's built into genetic codes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think on some level we do that. We're, I mean, we are nothing but made up a whole bunch of fucking DNA, mm-hmm. you know, and we probably operate that, that consciousness is in us somewhere that you've got to fucking be prepared to fuck up 
and make that beautiful mistake and then you might actually find something you didn't know you needed and might it turns out to be an advantage you know yeah yeah i mean you i guess you could think of like pass the ball <laughs> like like uh sanity is is like mutated mutated um you know thought i mm-hmm. mean and and i just sat through a um like a two-hour presentation on uh <clears throat> what was it <laughs> what were they really talking about um <laughs> i was talking about like uh, ab- abused children and and um um how to help oh, how to help people cope with trauma mm-hmm. and how to recover throughout their lives and how trauma stays with them yeah and um and how uh certain people who are dealing with trauma don't have certain self regulating um abilities mm-hmm. anymore they've mm-hmm. because they've flipped their lid in a certain yeah. way they 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 they're it's like a bad trip yeah, and mm-hmm. the, and the emotions are just firing off instinctively, and mm-hmm. they don't have a control over their anger or their sadness, or you know, and and that happens, and and there's there's also those instincts in us of of fight or flight that happen when we've been traumatized. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Um, her name is Allison Sampson. Actually, she works here in Virginia, and just a, a brilliant uh, social worker and advocate. But uh, it was really interesting to hear about. Um, and think about it in a more broader sense about how we're all um, dealing with trauma and mm-hmm. fear, and um, all of us are sort of trying to protect our families and protect our, you know, our our most precious ideas and our dreams, and 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 go through this crazy fucked up world uh, and painful world, and still carry on with with these dreams of of, of beautiful things that we'd like to see mm-hmm. happen in our lifetime, and. Um, and uh a lot of a lot of people you know you talk about first world problems i mean a lot of people would be lucky just to go through a day without having you know to be scared shitless of their dad beating them up or yeah. abusing them you know but but once you break out of those um crazy uh situations where you you feel powerless you know as you as you gain power you are also you gain the ability to be creative again yeah and 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 teach and and be generous and and uh try new things that you don't know the out what the outcome will Mm -hmm. be so i think um you know going back to punk rock and stuff you know a lot of those punk rockers were were really came from fucked up homes Mm -hmm. you know and they were dealing with fucked up problems in their lives that really they were just you know when when you hear the word acting out Mm -hmm. it's acting you know Mm -hmm. and you're trying to get that emotion out Mm -hmm. um it might not be going in the right place but but it's still you know it's coming out and it has to come out Mm -hmm. so um some of the most like amazing art and music i think comes from this idea that it's got to come out somehow mm-hmm. and um the world has been you know pressuring me and and i've been containing this so long i'm either going to go out and kill somebody commit a crime or i'm going to make this piece of rage happen on stage or yeah. i can you know I'm, i i can put it into art or 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 something like that so it could be destruction or creation yeah out of this yeah, and and you know, there's so many words that you've said today, and I'm a big flipper of words on there 
ears and like re you know look at them from this angle and and realize the commonality like the idea of action i mean i believe very much in like that when you're talking about trauma and you're talking about being stuck in a in a way of feeling or a way of thinking that the only real way out of it is a repetition of another experience that that begins to uh change the way that that you're feeling because it's changing your brain it's changing your nervous system you know yeah, you're, you're, yeah. and you have to, that has to be action ideas don't do it you know, right. they have to be applied. They have to, you know, you have to act out. You know, you have to act this out. You got to play this other part. You got to repetitively do something else until it becomes a reality. Yeah. You know, and though trauma is generally sudden, it can be repetitive. It can be something that's like, you know, an abusive household or whatever. And sometimes it's like being blown up in a war zone or whatever. Well, it happens suddenly. And, and they're saying it's like, even though like the immediate effects are one thing, but. It you know it residual, stays with you. The right. residual effects stay. But generally, stay this with is something that happens suddenly. That that the action that that produced the lingering effect was sudden. Yeah. But the counter to it is not. No, sudden. it's a lifetime. Right, yeah. and it can be a white light experience, a moment of epiphany. Uh, you know, a moment of realization that there is a light. There is something to go towards. I'm not stuck in this forever. No. Darkness, I mean, or pain, or whatever. I think a lot of the darkness and pain in our lives have been motivating factors to, to escape the darkness and right. pain, mm-hmm. and and to create something beautiful out of that darkness mm-hmm. and pain. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's you know, there, there's that's the muse of of you know the pain in our lives. You know, yeah. Um, I, and I mean, you know, there's the other idea. I mean, we're getting so. Esoteric, yeah, no, no, that's what this is about. It's, it's, it's tantric it's, conversation, dude. It's it's cool. Let um, let let it fly. Have I at mean, it. Um, it's it's like the the other thing that people talk about a lot of times that with creative endeavors is is the uh, somehow the desire to be immortal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's really ever a motivation, but I do sometimes uh, look out my window and think. Um, what if I don't get to do everything I wanted to do this mm-hmm. lifetime, you know? And and I guess I better keep keep trying while I have some daylight, you know? Yeah, that I, I agree with that 100%. I also say I need to dig what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And, like, the way you use dig is it <laughs> – there is a new piano to be found under you as you go through your life that you think is so mundane and fucked up. Yeah. There's an opportunity. And Richmond the could be the time. place. I might not need to go back to New York. Hey, no matter where you go – there you are. There you are. Yeah. That's right. And and so being there instead of in that future place or that one or, or I got to get this done before the you know before the shop closes. Right. Or just in, enjoying the fact that you got a you know the hammer and the 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 the, the anvil Be here and, now. and the, the iron is hot. Do it. Yeah. You know, do the thing right now. And like to me, you know this this idea of like I mean I did, there there's nothing wrong with having a rough sketch of the future. I'm into that but not being attached to it so that you can't see something that's revealed as you are in the act of going that way. Suddenly something else emerges. You dig something else up and you go, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe I should put my energy into this thing. That's actually emerging right here. I mean, so many artists talk about that. Like Michelangelo, I I looked, I started out right this way and it turned into, I took away everything that wasn't the sculpture, you know, like, Oh wow. You know, yeah, that's and, great. Michelangelo said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked at this piece of marble and took away everything that wasn't the thing. I love that. You know, yeah, and and yeah. I mean, I mean, at this point, like, you know, 
I, I think this is a maturity thing. I think I've had a bunch of experiences that have turned trauma or disappointment or failure or whatever into gold. You know, there's been some alchemy, and some of that is rationalization, which is a beautiful thing. You know, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum said it. I think <laughs> don't knock rationalizations; they're better than sex. Yeah, it's like nothing's better than sex. Like, yeah, you ever go a week without a good rationalization? <laughs> But, I mean, there is also truth to, like, there's a beautiful life right under your goddamn nose. They also know? say necessity is the mother of invention, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, okay, the necessity is I'm, I'm miserable. Right. You know, and that really is just this perception machine telling me that, you know. Like, the, or, the story my brain is making up is where the misery is coming from. Yeah. You know, it is not objectively miserable i mean there are things that are like if you are being tortured and you know whatever but most of us aren't you know we're having that feeling and you were talking about first world problems it doesn't change the fact that to the individual you don't want to shame the individual who feels it knows it right fear is fear and as far as your brain's concerned and as far as your nervous system is concerned this is a moment that is as threatening as somebody coming at you with a knife or whatever. Yeah. So first you need to recognize that's not happening and not shame yourself for feeling it when, you know, you're really, you're not this guy in Rwanda who is being, actually is being menaced yeah. with uh, a machete or something. Well, we, we put our mind to a, to something and, and, and hope that it turns into something mm-hmm. favorable, you know. I mean, yeah. But sometimes I mean, you got to relinquish the fucking control because you don't know anything and it's one of the best things that anybody ever said to me is i was sitting there telling i was playing out this fucking drama for a a trusted advisor and you know and he said and i was like and then this is going to happen and you know i know what's going to happen next he goes you don't know what the fuck is going to happen right and that was a ah moment for me i went he's right Good or bad, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. And I'm not powerful enough to pull all the fucking strings to make what I think I want to happen, even. And I don't even know if that's really what's good for me. I'm basing that on some limited vision, you know. Well, we could take that back to the very first thing we, you know, one of the very first things we talked about is you just get in a room with some guys with some musical instruments and you turn on the amps and who knows what's going to happen there, you know. But, But the fact that you got together with the musical instruments is all that matters. Cause from there it's, yeah, it's great. Now you know? I see it that way. All that matters is I fucking plugged in, but like at the point that Chris brought me to play with you and Jeremy yeah. and who else was there? I don't even remember. Jeremy Capeller and you and me, and Chris Flynn. Yeah. It was Chris Flynn was the kind of the ringleader of this. And he had yeah. seen me play with my old band in New York that I learned to play drums. Uh, Chris in. Ramming and Kevin might have been in there. I don't know. But, like, I'd learned to play with these guys in New York, and we called ourselves Redshift Ruler. David Cooley. Yeah, he might have been there. Yeah. But we would go into a room and just play. And we had a we had a ripped-off uh, Japanese psych song from the band White Heaven, we, and we <laughs> had a Blue Cheer riff that we stole. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, a few other things... And and we would play it all as sort of an opus, you know, and we would <laughs> improv around it. We would slow it down, speed it up. Yeah. Um, and we would just – we would start playing the one thing and we would go through this thing and we'd come out the other side. And many times it was just the three of us in a warehouse in Brooklyn in Dumbo with this tape player recording what we were doing. And that's the best, some of the best shit that I've ever heard or created, you know, like – 
taxi drivers going across the bridge, their walkies came over our amps. Oh, I love right, that, right. man. We were I've got the tapes like that, too. Yeah. There is, there, I've got some four-track tape where you can hear this little girl down the hall, running up and down the hall, laughing, like between mm. the songs that I was yeah. recording. And she's like, you know, just running up and down the hall laughing. And it's part of that mix. Like, I, mm-hmm. I always, it takes me right and there, And you couldn't though. have planned that. No. It, but like what I, the reason I inter- I started talking about that by talking about playing with you guys. Chris had seen that band and he thought I was a good drummer based on that band. You know, oh cool. But that was really about that relationship. I wasn't objectively a good drummer. I was a good drummer with those two guys. Yeah, and it was much more about our communication and us knowing our songs and knowing how to play together. And we d- yeah. did that. But you get me in the room with you guys, I don't know you guys, and right, right, and I don't have the same approach as him. And it went. Pfft. Yeah, you know? yeah, and a whole bunch of shit went like that, you know. And I just stopped playing drums, actually. Yeah, you know, which is not good, you know. No, you like, need to play again at some point. Yeah, but you got because drum kit? I mean, I'll take no, <laughs> you got you got an empty house. But you gotta, you know, you gotta respect, <laughs> uh, you gotta respect the relationship that, like, you know, and that that was the terms that I wanted to play on. Is like I didn't want to learn how to play my instrument. I wanted to. I mean, I did, but I wanted it to be part of a process with other people. I yeah. wanted, you know, I didn't want to sit in a room by myself and play the drums until I was, you know, paradiddles and shit. Fuck that. That's like, right, right. You know, that's boring and stupid. But I got really good at playing songs that I wrote with some other guys. Yeah, synthesis of of different talents working together and harmonizing. Yeah, but now, like, see, it, the thing that I've that I now really appreciate. Oh, I think, oh, and there's a thought there that yeah. that. Because the reason I brought it back around to that that we started with was when you were talking about um, you don't know what the fuck's going to happen. Right. Um, th- I don't know who said it, and and I can't quote the exact quote, so I'll paraphrase. But something about you know y- you take the first step and providence leads the rest mm-hmm. of the way, or or or, or uh, you know the you you make the first step and grace will show you the rest mm-hmm. of the way. You know. It's really true, and it's, yeah. I mean, I found that in any journey I set out on, just for the sake of getting out of the house or wherever mm-hmm. or going someplace new, I always found something new, and you know, um, or 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 created something really cool out of nothing just by starting, you know, the mm-hmm. process, taking some action, yeah. Yeah. acting out. Yeah. Action is extremely important. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of freedom in actually just doing a task yeah, and getting yeah. into it, you know, and that is the, I mean, I call this tantric conversation. I believe in meditation, but practical meditation of action of stuff that you do and you stop fucking obsessing and belaboring and worrying the thing. You just do the thing and, and space and time open up in that thing that you're doing. And you start to say, you know what? I'm just going to do this thing really well. I don't know how it's going to fit into anything else. And I don't need to know what's going to happen with it. I just need to really do it right now, you know? And it is, uh, uh, you want to, do you need to go somewhere? No, I'm looking something up right now that relates. Yeah, it made me think of um, this movie director, John Cassavetes. Oh, yeah. um, Born in New York City. In 1929, um, he had this film called. I gotta look at his filmography real quick here. Oh man, it's so beautiful. Isn't Shadows. It awesome that you can do this that? Is his first film, Shadows, uh-huh. or his first 
film listed on Wikipedia in 1959. And it had like, um, <clears throat> like a mixed couple, um, you know, uh, sort of a, ethnically a, mixed. What I guess, yeah, like a a black girl who is mixed, um, who falls in love with a white guy. So I guess she's a light skinned African American in New York. Her brother is a, a lot darker skin, but she falls for this Italian guy, and then he thinks, you know, she's light enough to pass, right? That mm-hmm. word, but he. The white guy doesn't realize that she's black somehow mm-hmm. and meets her brother and is like, oh, wait, that's uh-huh. your brother. Anyway, there's all kinds of racial tension in this film, and uh, it was released in 1959. But the reason I brought it up um, beyond the fact that the ideas in the movie are beautiful mm-hmm. was that um, the movie was one of those movies uh, that was completely improvised. And it wow. was actually filmed a couple different times, at least twice. And I think the first version, um, Cassavetes said, ah, I don't like this. Let's do it again. But um, I heard that they found the original version, just the, the original reels just turned up on a subway car at some point wow. after his death. And some people think that they that it was stolen and the person who wanted to re-release it actually just made up that story. There's this whole controversy with Cassavetes' wife mm-hmm. saying, no, you're not allowed to release that version. But anyway, it's such a beautiful concept that a two-hour film was made with just – the actors were given an idea and they just had to roll with it. Yeah. For two hours. Especially fucking film, yeah. which is expensive. It was you know, it much more expensive back then. Because we were talking about that at the beginning of this thing. is like, I am worried about wasting anything. This is this piece of shit uh, laptop I have here. And nobody's paying for any of this here. And there's know? nothing. So no, re- being no wasted. Um, yeah, there's no tape reel to reload right. when we run out. I don't have, to, we don't have of, to develop anything. This yeah. is re- will be ready to go when we're finished. I mean, I might run something like a, a compressor or put some you know, flanger on it. Yeah. Yeah. Put a little, a reverb, <laughs> more cowbell, but you Make know, um, to, to really, to take a chance to spend that much money, you know, it's like amazing you know, film, but that, to, you know, to me, like, but, but this, do people even do that? I guess people still, they do it with video, do that with video. Like now. They, there's guys like Just an uh, improv movie. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Um, he's in, uh, Fuck in, in the league and uh, Duplass, Mark Duplass and his uh-huh. brother, like they go out and they get a bunch of people together and they have the roughest fucking sketch of an idea of what it's going to be about and they start improving. That's so cool. And why not? I mean, it's just like jamming. Yeah. You're not fucking wasting anything. It's video. Yeah. And, and that to me is the best thing about the digital re- revolution, right? All that shit that we we love so much archaically is made out of petroleum. Yeah. You know, <laughs> whether it's film or vinyl or cassettes right. or yeah, any true. of that stuff, it's fucking plastic. Yeah. You know, and plastic is oil. And like, it'd be great if actually we didn't, you know, that this, this thing, the zeros and ones on my drive, like it can be all these different things. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's, it's it's recycled over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Shake the etch a sketch. And I think that's fucking awesome. And I think that we can, it, it removes a whole lot of the, um, waste and it removes a whole lot of the impediment 
from being creative and and yeah. you know and a lot of the, the barriers expense. yeah and like yeah. when people start getting together like oh we got to do this we got to do that we got to move the equipment around you know and like you can come over here you can get off work i can get off work i get this set up in 10 minutes and we're sit down and we're at it yeah you know we're not in some studio we don't need a whole bunch of shit there's no engineer here right it's nothing and that's not half-assed that's cutting to the goddamn chase you know <laughs> like let's get into what it's really about yeah you know? yeah and um like I, to me, that that's the digital revolution. We have that is, that is our cultural tool making thing that we've done something. We've added an appendage to our intelligence. It's you know the same way that a hammer is better than a fist. This thing is still in a projection of what we do naturally. You know, process, think, whatever, and we use it as a prosthesis. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. there's nothing fucking wrong with that. It's no more wrong than wearing a shoe. Right. You know, like it, <laughs> it's just helping us to to get together. And humans are there. We can be really destructive when we get together. We can be fucking amazing when we get together. And that's how we've survived over animals that could take us out quite easily. You know, as we get together, you get and I said this recently. You get five monkeys together, it can fuck a lion up. You know, <laughs> like they could just outwit it. You know? Yeah. And well, like, and I mean we're. I don't know. I think kids are smarter these days just because of the access. Not smarter, but maybe more mentally abled because of the access. Mm-hmm. And you can, I mean, you ever mess with a digital recorder and the speed? And there's people who now record. Um, I work at the law school at U of R. I record classes occasionally for students. And one student asked me, hey, is there a way to speed this up so I can listen to the class faster? <laughs> and it'll just you know the professor will sound a little bit more like a chipmunk but i i can get used to that pace and i was like can that I is get amazing that information into my brain faster than analog yeah like, can i just download that shit into my head yeah and yeah. i mean someone can probably you know power lunch this conversation we just had while they're jogging mm-hmm. or something on their right. Uh, iPod, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 maybe think we're a couple of jerk offs, but maybe probably get something amazing out of it too, and 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 go off and do something that they didn't or wouldn't have done because of some idea that we sparked in their their minds. You know, and the most that exact thing is what podcasts were for me when I was in a forty degree room, actually thirty eight degree room, handling pallets of beef and chicken and pork, putting tags on them, taking them out of the boxes, putting tags on those things, and putting them in. Uh, case and driving a forklift and doing all of this shit that was very menial, very physically uncomfortable yeah. and beating the shit out of me. I was listening to podcasts. I was wow. listening to Mark Marin talking to all of these different people and their voices are just in my head talking to me while I'm doing all of this fucking work. And I started to go, wow, the repetition of hearing all of these other humans, people that I consider to be in some respects better than me, like, you know, more accomplished or whatever. I'm listening to them talk about the same shit and more and more the real liberation and the real amazing thing that happens is i stopped paying so much attention to all that stuff that i thought was uniquely my unique trauma you know yeah i realized it's fucking universal it's universal yeah. you know and like therefore it's really not that interesting you know <laughs> it's actually kind of played out yeah it's like eight ball yeah. jackets and like <laughs> you know let's get into something interesting let's stop being bogged down in you know these things that feel so unique, that feel so special. My story about my mom and my dad and the girl that broke my heart and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. They're archetypes and myths, and they they're common. Yeah, like, we need to have a happening. Yeah, like but what, like they had in Hate Ashbury. 
Except I without the LSD. You know, we're doing it right now. Yeah. This is happening. And then we're putting it out there. Somebody else can have this shit. And you can have you can have it be whatever you want it to be. Yes, there are plenty of people who listen to this and they've told me to my face that, that I'm a jerk off or whatever. And not anywhere near as many who enjoy it. But I don't yeah. really mind because it's not for everybody, you know. But for the people it's for... I, I think it sparks something and triggers something, and that's that to me is the ultimate creative act. Me is is me playing a role in the fucking you know the uh, cultural dendrite system. You know, like I'm an axon, I'm a neuron, I'm just one of the places the pulse is passing through, hmm. and that ain't no just. You could throw the just out. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really what's you're one of right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm one of, I'm a part of this universe. I'm a part of this neighborhood, this culture, this family, all of this shit. And You're I one of the, one of the Christmas lights on the string. That's yeah. right. And that's not a, a diminished thing because you're actually part of something completely magnificent and unknowable called the cosmos. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you're not in the cosmos. You're the cosmos. Yeah. Like, you're one of the, you're one of the elements of it. You're made up of the shit that got spit out of the fucking stars out there. That's why you know, it's like, it's great to think about like all your emotions and your memories and your problems and and the things that make up your life. You could just let go of all of them, you know, when you die and time. and before they wouldn't that. be yours or or before that, right? But, you know, eventually you're going to have to let go of all of those mm-hmm. my 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 things. Because, yeah, we're all connected and we all sh- share the same podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, the, I think the connectivity we are creating. I mean, we we're just talking about Teilhard de Chardin. You know, that guy is a Jesuit uh, monk who had no problem reconciling spirituality and science. He's a fucking Catholic Jesuit monk who was on the team uncovering Peking Man. And the dude coined the uh, noosphere term which like relates to the idea of of there's a biosphere of all the living things on the planet and then there's a noosphere which is like the same thing but of thought of people connecting being connected mentally and spiritually and he didn't have the internet to project that onto he just saw it as where we were going that we Hmm. were going to be able to link ourselves more and to be to function more like Hmm. a unit and that's not to be drones that's not to lose your precious individuality it's to become more effective Hmm. you know to do more things you know like you know when we function as a team when we join up like the voltron (laughs) you know (laughs) wu-tang always love voltron (laughs) always wanted to have a voltron never had a full voltron i didn't either but i i was i was good with other people having voltron and i could just witness i would have just broken at the playground yeah I, I know I had a, at least one friend that had a full Voltron. It all seemed ridiculous to see it all in one place, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or th- or that. Um, you remember that construction bot? Mm-hmm. Where like you had like all those different green construction vehicles, and they turn into a like a mega transformer. They were like a, uh, right. They were a wannabe transformer kind of thing made yeah. out of construction uh, equipment. They were the blue collar transformers. The blue you know? collar Voltron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't think it's stoner to see all of this stuff, you know, connecting, you know, I think like, and, and to me, whatever, man, you know, for my actual experience of life, I am, I, I spend my days doing something 
that's less mundane than what I used to do, mm-hmm. but it's still pretty like involves a lot of driving around, being in traffic, dealing with a lot of uncomfortable bullshit. But yeah. you know, I'm I've been made open to the possibilities, you know, and I just keep saying I'm actually quite liberated to follow instructions to do this task I've been given and that I'm being paid to do. Like let's let's be innovative within the framework of what I've been given. And there's actually a lot of there's actually a lot of freedom in there when somebody gives you a structure, uh, you know, yeah. and then and you know what's expected of you. And well, people you know. miss that when they retire. I hear mm-hmm. they like I I don't have anything to wake up for anymore. But they you know they could make a podcast. Yeah, and yeah, uh, this kind of conversation I also wanted to say um, <clears throat> is actually pretty rare in my life these days too. Um, I mean, I I see people all the time, but. You don't get to break it down all the time, yeah, and or or at least break everything else down and get down to improv, mm-hmm. and um, you can't even do that in uh, places where people are supposed to hang out and relax mm-hmm. and meet and 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 get to know each other. A lot of times, there's so much noise added to those situations that you're really just sort of standing there. Mm-hmm. There's <clears throat> either something too loud or distracting going on, yeah, or everybody has got their mask on and they're mm-hmm. just trying to fit in and not not to stand out in any way that will you know draw too much attention to themselves and you yeah. know until yeah. they get a few in them and then then they don't mind that and so then much no one remembers the next day and look fuck i was that guy for a long fucking time yeah you know liquid courage was my my shit you know i didn't feel like i could be creative or any of that stuff unless i got I took the edge off but if only there if only you had a scribe with you the whole time to write down all the brilliant things you thought up yeah well then i would probably be aware of how very little brilliance was coming out and just a lot of pedantry yeah you know well again you you have to pull it from someplace meaningful and uh you're right i mean all all our experiences you know um the the subconscious pulls from places you're not thinking in the moment where where every thought's coming from it's uh impressions yeah and i think i think we know things that we don't know we know yeah it's in there just like trauma we're looking for things that we don't know we're looking for right just the same way that trauma can be in your genes and in your cells and like dug into you like that also in there is the knowledge of where the gnosis of where all of this shit came from you know the reason somebody said i don't remember who it is maybe it was carl sagan the reason that we are able to navigate the fucking stars from here like we can send shit like probes out into space <laughs> going like with the same brain that was designed for survival on a savanna in a paleolithic culture throwing spears at fucking wildebeests or whatever that same brain is capable of this other shit because yeah. that's where it came from hmm. it came from there it knows it on some level yeah, yeah. Some, somewhere down deep in the jank you know in between you know, the spaces in the cells and the genetic information. I mean, we label all that stuff and it becomes mundane. It becomes pictures in a, in a textbook. Mm-hmm. But it's much more amazing than that. you got to forget those words sometimes. you got to forget the notes, forget the language, and get at what is... It, this is actually quite crazy, bizarre, and amazing, the stuff that we are capable of, you know, only because we are of that... Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I guess... Um, when we were talking about throwing out uh, the familiarity of our own lives and our identities, um, 
we almost yeah it's like we unlearn that joy of existence in in uh, in our lives too i mean just the the fact that we open our eyes every day and and you know we're conscious and 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 we have these these lives and and these beautiful natural phenomenon surrounding us you know we get we get even just desensitized to that mm-hmm. and because of of learned assumptions i guess mm-hmm. and and conditioning and and a familiarity so somebody has to slap us in the face with some punk rock <laughs> or some art yeah. or some movie or something to get us out of that some it's, sushi it, it literally is like i want some sushi <laughs> right now wake up motherfucker <laughs> get out of this sleepwalking zombie thing that you're in you know take a take a break from it come back to it refreshed yeah, you know? yeah. Like, and that does not have to be alcohol and drugs all the time. Doesn't you know? have to be sleep or either. All, you know, I I sleep. worked out today for the first time in four days, and uh, I felt like a different person. Yeah. At just after an hour, my consciousness changed. Endorphins are good. It's also that sort of like diving into pain. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like I I'm just gonna like sort of like not worry about how long like, it's been bad this sucks while i'm doing it and just get it done mm-hmm. and run four miles and lift some weights and man you know like your body just feels like a different thing and your your thoughts feel it's like, a brand new piano yeah right there and then you know so when i was an intellectual smarmy little fuck in college and i'm and i'm hearing all of these wonderful ideas about detachment and being in the present and being in the now and all of that stuff those were those felt like the kinds of things that you have to go sit in a monastery and practice to get to. And nobody ever made that claim, especially not the Buddha in the yeah. first place. He said, no, you've already got it. Yeah. You, you need to stop thinking that it's somewhere else and it's some other thing. And here's a bunch of practical ways to get there. Mm. Here's, there's a bunch of shit you can do besides sitting on a cushion. Yeah. You can you can garden. You can walk. You can, you know, they've updated that. Thich Nhat Hanh, so you can wash the dishes. You could just pay attention to what you're eating, you know. Mm, yeah. Like, recognize that it is a miracle. Like, that it's every, already there. It's yeah, already fucking process, amazing, yeah. you know. Or as, yeah, Louis C.K. says, everybody, everything's amazing and nobody's happy, you know. <laughs> But uh, we better start wrapping this up just so that, you know, um, it is good fidelity when I put it yeah, out there. Because yeah, I don't yeah. like – I broke the last couple of them up and I just don't like that. I like to keep it all together as cool. one thing. Um, well, it's all thank one you. thing. Thank, thank you, Carl, man. That was that's Thank you for coral. inviting me uh, to speak with you. You are most welcome and thank you for coming. Thank you for being willing to sit in my – my uh, what is this? My dining room. Here, interview about. room. Yeah. This is the first, well, second time I've done it in here. But anyway, namaste, motherfuckers. You know what I hate? I hate it when I record an outro thing and I'm like talking. I realize I'm, I'm press, unpressed the pause button and I didn't record a goddamn thing. So this is take two on what I already just recorded. So that was cool um, talking to Carl there and I felt like when i got done with that i was kind of i was kind of loopy i think i blew out some chakras talking to him but it was very i really enjoyed that and you got i hope to see him again soon i hope to see a lot of these people i've talked to again soon it's get done with these things and then go back into my routine but i'm trying to do more of them so it's like an excuse to hang out with people an excuse to talk to people i got i just did tan in penland last week uh from 
He's been around since Pledge Allegiance all the way up to Loincloth. I did got Ward Harrison from the Hackensaw Boys. who drank a lot of coffee and got real um, ADD and fun on a Saturday afternoon. And he played a song for us, which is pretty cool, except I think I interrupted it a little bit. And I've been talking to Paul D. Pasquale. Uh, he's going to be on coming up soon. And... Carol Pearsall, uh, used to be at Firehouse Theater, now she's uh, doing her own thing, roaming around. I think I said I was going to do her earlier, it took, it's taken me a while to actually pull this together. Um, and I was recently contacted by Matt Tracy, who has been doing the free jambalaya thing, and he uh, does stuff down at the shop near Plant Zero. Um, we're talking about me maybe hosting a thing he's got coming up there, and we're talking like maybe we're going to make it a streaming combo tantric conversation something else with uh, around film he's got he's doing like a film festival down there like three filmmakers I'm gonna probably host it probably put it up on the podcast see how all of that goes uh, you know I don't know I'll try anything once you all know you know that you know that about me and uh, it's time for me to get up and get out of here and go pick up my girl uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and we will see each other again soon, my loves, my children, and I.